Hello friends, my name is Ian Graham and I'm the pastor of Ecclesia in Princeton, New Jersey. And I am so excited to introduce to you this teaching series, a series that will look at the story, the big story that the Bible is telling from Genesis to Revelation, a series we're calling From Garden City. The story begins in a garden and it ends in a city and is defined at every twist and turn by the love and the presence of God. That God will stop at nothing to be God with us. And so if you've ever tried to read the Bible or you've ever been asked, what what actually is the Bible about? We hope that this teaching series will be a blessing to you. It will be an invitation to see the big story of the Bible and to see your story in light of that beautiful, gracious, life-giving, eternal story. So wherever you are, we pray this is a blessing to you. Grace and peace to you. Good morning, Ecclesia. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Zachariah, and I'm one of the Princeton Seminary interns this year. Ian has given me the privilege of preaching this morning, as he's not here, down in Charleston, as we continue our Garden to City series. What this means to me in particular is my first sermon, that isn't on Zoom, is about the fall of humanity. So thanks, Ian, for that. But before we get into it, Let's pray for today's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit comes down and gives strength to my words and my thoughts and brings some hope and healing. Amen. Last week, we talked about what we are for, what humanity was created to be on this earth. We talked about culture life in the garden, and what blessings culture brings into life. We talked about the hierarchy of creation, that creator, humanity, creation order that places us humans as stewards of creation. What stuck out to me, though, was the word shalom in last week's sermon. I've heard shalom quite often in my life as I did my undergraduate work at Azusa Pacific University. where the president at the time, the late John Wallace, always concluded his speeches, his sermons, no matter how big or small, with the benediction, Shalom, go with God. John Wallace would sometimes define Shalom so that we would understand what he was talking about. And it's a word that doesn't just mean peace, as sometimes people can define it as. It's a word that means wholeness, fullness, Satisfaction, it's a circle. There's no edges or breaks. It's just complete. It's a word that weaves many meanings into these two little syllables. And it's a word that accurately describes the Garden of Eden. Everything in creation is perfectly in its place, like the notes of your favorite song. And everything is in union with the creator God. This is where chapter 2 leaves us and where today's passage begins. We start in verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Something that sticks out to me here is that there's no explanation for the serpent. It's just there. We could spend much of today and most of our lifetimes trying to explain why evil exists. But possibly the point here is that one needs to deal with evil because it is here in front of us. When Ian and I went over this passage, we talked about how in a way it is easy to understand because I don't need to write a full-blown academic paper inside my sources to prove to you that the world is broken. We see it all around us. We've experienced it ourselves. And we as Christians get to have some sort of explanation here in Genesis of why that is. Yet this passage is not just an extrapolation of what our ancestors did at the beginning and now we suffer the consequences. As I was reading through and meditating on this section, something that stuck me was there are no names mentioned at all. Adam is named earlier in chapter 2, and both Adam and Eve later in chapter 3. But here we only have the man, or the woman, or the wife, or the husband. Why might this be? Maybe the, f- the fall of humanity often has cosmic overtures, the all of creation, the scales of justice in the hands of fate sort of feeling. But this has personal context as well. I draw attention to the way scripture doesn't name Adam and Eve here. Because it is simply about us, the whole human race. The serpent told the woman that eating of the fruit would make her and her husband like God, knowing good and evil. It doesn't say it would make us as humans more than God, greater than God, but like God, equal with God. In the hierarchy of creator, humanity, creation, God gave us stewardship of creation, but now we want stewardship of ourselves. What we see... From this passage, how immediately the shalom of the garden went wrong. Once they ate of the fruit, their eyes were opened, and they knew about nakedness, about shame, and so they made clothes to hide in. If you've ever broken glass like I have when I was a second grader, and I threw a magnet at a plate glass window in our house, you know that you get many sharp edges in the aftermath. And in my case, my parents were less than happy with me. We see some of the sharp edges here in verse 7, the nakedness and shame of the man and woman, but that's not where it ends. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. 
God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The first words spoken here are by God. Where are you? Where are you? Just three verses ago, in the shalom of the garden, these words had no meaning. But now everything has been split. And God seeks out the man and woman that he had once been unified with. We believe that God is omnipotent, eternal, omniscient. Yet despite all that, God asks Where are you? We believe here that words create worlds. And I can think of no better example than right here about how broken the shalom of the garden is. That God now calls for us, asks where we are. Yet the man answers God with fear that they heard God walking and in their newfound knowledge experienced fear of breaking the limit God had set on them. Like me breaking a window as a second grader, Adam and Eve knew they did something wrong and would eventually be caught. And like me, as a second grader, as like me, when my parents saw the broken glass, they tried to blame everything other than themselves. In my case, I think it was a cat, but that didn't work. God asks the man why he ate the fruit, and the man immediately blames Eve. Even blames God for putting her with him. In case you missed it in verse 6, it explicitly says the man was with Eve during the temptation. Last week we talked about the idea of helper, that God gave women to men so that both of us in union could bring culture and life to the world of shalom. Now, unity has given way to domination of men over women instead of love and respect. We see it all over the world today. In sports, in businesses, in churches, this passage stands as a testament to that brokenness that men should not dominate over women, but instead should seek shalom as it was and could be again both women and men in unity, tending to God's creation. Even after the man blames the woman, God asks the woman and she blames the serpent, the original tempter, for tricking her and in turn Adam. This leads to God's declaration of the new reality, the curse, as it's sometimes called. The curse, though, is where we see God's grace working through our failure at the very beginning to restore us back to Shalom. Verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all the wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. As God places enmity, big word, between the serpent and the woman, he declares that the offspring of the woman will strike the head of evil, even as evil strikes his heel. As I learned from the office, a head injury is more serious than a foot injury, 
And yet despite the curse, God has already set up the restoration of Shalom. That Jesus, born of a woman named Mary, would strike the head of evil and death and take away its power. This is not a new interpretation of this passage, and many others could tell you more eloquently how Jesus is indirectly or directly pointed to here. Yet something that interests me is that God is telling the serpent. Yet, okay. God is explaining to the embodiment of evil and temptation in this passage how exactly God intends to rectify the situation. Declaring in front of all humanity at that time, Adam and Eve, that our failures in wanting stewardship for ourselves, life on our terms instead of God's, will not define us. That shalom will be restored through God's action in Jesus. Yet the world is, at this point, still broken. And today, still broken. And we see in the imprecations to the woman and man here, how shalom is not coming back right away. And our decisions to be stewards of ourselves does indeed lead to death. In the curses to woman and man, we see again the brokenness of relationship between men and women. And then even the act of bringing life into the world will cause pain for all mothers. We see that the ground will not easily give up its fruit and work for life is the new normal. Finally, we see that death indeed will come as we return to the ground that God breathed life into at the very beginning. Even with the promise of God's grace, the curse of the fall still feels strong as we well know living in the broken world today. Now we find ourselves at the end of Genesis 3, the expulsion where we left the place of Shalom and were cast out to live in a broken world. The garden is guarded from us and in some ways this passage uh, and uh, with an angel holding a flaming sword barring the way back to the tree of life like i said before in some ways this passage is easy to understand we see the world is broken we feel pain and suffering we have anxieties and fears that are not abstract terms but have names and experiences and faces Even as Adam and Eve were cast from the garden, I want to draw attention to another garden, one called Gethsemane. It is at Gethsemane that we see how far God's grace extends. As Jesus in the garden, the incarnate God, suffers the anxiety and fear that is part of being human. Fear of pain that is to come for Jesus. Fear of death, the most common of Human ailments. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus in his anguish prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down onto the ground. Why does this matter? Because God was not content to watch us from on high and stay out of the world, but instead came down in Jesus to see what we see and feel what we feel. Jesus didn't suffer in order to make pain and suffering something more glorious or good, but to understand us. To understand what it's like to be human. 
But Jesus did not stop at understanding pain and death, but went through death and out the other side, resurrecting back into life to take the power of death away. Jesus died and was resurrected so we could have eternal life through death to give us hope that the broken world in Genesis 3 and today is not the last word, but shalom will be fully restored when Jesus comes again. So where does this leave us today? I want to emphasize that Genesis 3 and the story of why Shalom is lost is not to generalize pain and sorrow in some way to make you feel that just because everyone else feels it, you should feel bad about feeling the weight of it. If you're going through pain and sorrow, we are here to pray for you and stand with you as your church family. Our sermon series is called From Garden to City because it is about bringing the shalom of the garden back into our lives today through the hope in Jesus. And that starts right here with each other. As I bring the worship team back up, I also bring up members of our prayer team. And if you need prayer, we are here for you. Finally, as we look to the hope In Jesus, I pray that we go out in this world, not downcast by the tragedy in the garden and its effects in the world, but in the hope of Jesus, who understands us and brought death down low and will eventually restore the fullness of shalom when he comes again. Let's pray.